Welcome to the Innovation Deep End. Uh, this is a podcast all about aquatic construction. Uh, we're here for everybody, no matter what you do in the industry. That means if you're a designer, if you're a builder, if you're an engineer, supplier, manufacturer, distributor, consultant, whatever it is, uh, we've got something for you and um, you're in the right place. I'm your host, John Moy. I lead the link. We have aquatic construction software to win more projects and work more efficiently. Now, what I do in this podcast is I go out and I try to find leading experts and innovators in the industry and bring them here and really just ask them for their advice and really try and get into their brains and their heads about what makes them successful and what's going to make the rest of us successful in our respective jobs. I'm really delighted with um, our guest today, delighted to introduce you. Um, he comes from Fluidra. Uh, Fluidra is a company that really needs no introduction, being one of the largest manufacturers of pool equipment in the world. So I'm going to assume if you're listening to this podcast, you know who they are. Uh, you might not know our guest, Steve Jones. He is the senior manager of pumps at Fluidra, uh, which is why you should know him. Um, and hopefully you already know about the new Department of Energy Regulations coming into effect in July of 2021. Um, this would be the dedicated purpose pool pump motors um, for variable speed pumps. Uh, and you should know that the Fluidra team uh, worked closely, pretty closely with the Department of Energy to help craft these new regulations. And um, Steve has been a part of this team kind of collaborating and working with the Department of en Energy and a number of other uh, experts in the field and in um, the, the energy field, of course. And so if you wanna know the real depth of the, the why, the what, and the how, he's definitely the man. Uh, so Steve, first of all, thank you so much for joining us and how are you doing today? I'm doing good, happy to be here. Good, we're, we're delighted to have you, as I said. Uh, I'd love to start off just, you know, for our listeners who maybe are less familiar with the regulations that are forthcoming and pending, can you just give us a quick executive summary of, hey, here's, here's, what, you can, here's, here's what the regulations are? Yeah, sure, so it's, um, it's, a, it's a pool pump regulation. Um, you, you said earlier, it's a bit of a tongue twister. It's the dedicated purpose pool pump regulation uh, that goes into effect in, in July of 2021. Um, and it basically what it says is that um, all pumps manufactured or imported into the U.S. after that date need to, cert need to meet certain minimum energy efficiency requirements. Um, so it, it basically means it's think of it like a gas guzzlers. Um, there are requirements for um, uh, miles per gallon standards on vehicles. Um, same thing. The, the goal is to decrease the use of high energy consuming pool pumps. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of people think of it as um, it means everything needs to become a variable speed pump. It's actually not what it means. It just means that if you're going to sell a pump, it needs to meet minimum energy efficiency requirements. While today, most of the pumps that meet that requirement are variable speed, there are still some lower horsepower single speed pumps that meet the requirements as well. So it's not a variable speed requirement at all. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. That, that does clear things up for me, at least. Thank you. Because um, that was the assumption that I had coming into this conversation. So you already, you've, you've at least got one audience member who's a little bit smarter within uh, your first intro. Thank you. Sure. Um, well, so my, my first question with this regulation is what prompted it? Like, you know, you, you mentioned the parallel with gas guzzling cars, and obviously there was there were studies done that said, okay, th these emissions are causing um, harmful damage to the, to the environment. So we need to change that. We need to regulate this a little bit more. W what was it that prompted the Department of Energy to take this on? 
Yeah, so that's a, um, a really great question, which my answer is probably going to surprise some people. Um, because as I, as I kind of was thinking about this podcast, I went back and did some of my own research and I even, even, uh, learned a few things. So most people in the industry look at this as we want to decrease energy consumption. Um, that's actually not where this got its origins. Um, if you go back and, and do, and do research, um, you can actually say that this really started with the clean air act of 1963, which was really, uh, U S regulations around, um, not polluting the, the air. Um, in 2003, um, basically the EPA said that they, they, they lacked authority to regulate greenhouse gases mm-hmm. because they're really, greenhouse gases are really kind of naturally occurring. Um, and there was a bunch of lawsuits in the early 2000s. And in 2007, it made its way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court um, ruled eight to zero. So it was not a political type of a, of a conversation. Mm-hmm. They basically said, hey, eight to zero, greenhouse gases um, are a pollutant and they cause damage to the environment. So um, uh, electricity, when you create electricity, you are emitting into the atmosphere greenhouse gases. And that's really the goal. The goal is not to save energy. The goal is to decrease the demand for energy so that um, you you emit fewer pollutants into the air. Mm -hmm. Now, the end result is going to be that a lot of people are going to save a lot of money on electricity, um, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the origins are really about decreasing uh, greenhouse gases. Yeah. And go back many decades. Yep. Yeah. Um, that, that. So, okay. So that, that makes sense. You know, we, the, more, the more electricity we use, the more greenhouse emissions we're creating. Um, and so the pumps were identified within the aquatic industry of, okay, there's a lot of pools. And obviously after this summer, there's a lot more pools uh, in the U S <laughs> and so uh, obviously prior to this, the pandemic, this, this came, this came about, this discussion started, but the powers that be the part of the energy said, we want to target pool pumps for this as, as one spe- as one thing um, amongst I'm sure countless uh, items that they're addressing. Mm-hmm. Is this is this difference with pool pumps? Is it going to make a meaningful difference in consumption on the average? Like that that's the other you know the, the follow up question is like okay, under we all I think we all can can say we understand how decreased energy usage is going to help with emissions. Sure, but is pool pumps is that the is that is that a piece of equipment that's really going to make a big difference? You know, so um, studies show that um, homes with pools the pool pump is the second highest consuming piece of equipment in the home beyond HVAC equipment. So your heating and air conditioning units, Uh the the pool pump by far is the second highest consuming item. Um, So for sure, it's going to make a difference. Um, Assuming that people, when they put in their new pumps um, and if they are variable speed, they operate them properly. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's, if you, if you do some math, um, so let me throw out some numbers there. If you run a pool pump, at, um, at half speed, um, you actually consume 85% less electricity. So for half the speed, oh, wow. you, get, you get half the flow, but you're uh-huh. saving a uh, decrease in energy use by 85%. So the DOE, um, if you read the regulation, like how they arrived at the regulations, um, it's actually a hundred page document. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got all sorts of projections on how much uh, less energy will be used, how much less emissions there's going to be. But their estimate is that the average in-ground pool, in-ground residential pool homeowner, 
um, if they were to switch to one of the compliant pumps, mm-hmm. they will save about $1,500 per year per household. So um, let's assume that that $1,500, people are paying 20 cents per kilowatt hour of energy. Um, that's uh, that's 7,500 kilowatt hours of energy per year that a home is not consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 5 million in-ground pools in the U.S. So eventually, once everyone converts over, just through attrition and, and pumps breaking, that's mm-hmm. 37 billion kilowatt hours less of energy to add. So it's it's a lot. Um, yeah. And if you if you look at the emissions that they're looking at, I'll throw out some numbers here without sounding too much of a, of a geek, but um, they basically have estimated that over thir- the next 30 years, that carbon dioxide emissions would be reduced by 200 million metric tons between now and 2050. Um, and they value that at um, 500 to $700 trillion in savings. Wow. So it's a huge amount of impact to the environment. Yeah. Um, to the, uh, like I said, I, I kind of mentioned to the homeowner, um, the impact of $1,500 less on average of energy use. Um, even though variable speed pumps um, cost a little more, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the payback time for that type of savings in most cases is less than one year. So um, while there's a little bit of a upfront cost, there's a big bang for your buck on the other end. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask the question of, you know, what's, what's the average increase percentage cost of, uh, you know, the current, the current pump to the various variable speed. You answered, and I'm still going to ask you that question, but the, the real question is what's the payback period. It's less, if it's less than a year, it's a pretty easy sell to a homeowner. Most people, if they're putting a pool in, they plan to use it for more than the first year of its life. So. Yeah. I think the people that are going to have more of the sticker shock are going to be um, the people who maybe bought a home with a pool already there. Um, And um, you know, maybe a lot of homeowners may uh, when they're buying a home, they they see the, the nice pool, right. And they're like all excited. Um, And then they get into the home and they realize, Whoa, we've got maintenance expenses. We have electrical expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. We've got the, the, chemicals to keep the pool clean and it's maybe a bit of a sticker shock um but um if their pump had to be replaced you know i think nine out of ten people their natural decision would be like look i'd rather buy a 500 single speed pump than a 1500 variable speed pump so there is a, a cost difference so the upfront sticker shock is still going to be there for the homeowner but i think for the experienced pool professional that can explain the benefits of a variable speed pump and that payback period um, I think it's relatively easy to overcome. It's really an educational thing, I think, with the homeowner. Um, but if you're a builder and you're selling a $50,000 pool, you know that extra $1,000 for a variable speed pump is probably a blip on the quote. Um, the homeowner is probably going to be more concerned about how long is my backyard going to be dug up, how, yeah. how long before I can enjoy the pool, mm-hmm. um, that type of thing. Well, that, that brings up a good question. And um, I, th- I think you're totally right, by the way, that it, especially when you have the art, like it's not that big a line item in the context of the whole project, you know, I mean, not every, every little penny counts we know, but at the end of the day, it's really easy to explain, Hey, this is how much pumps are now. And it's a really good thing because in the long term, you're going to be saving a lot of money. So that's an easy thing, especially for the new build. When you're talking about replacement, um, and, and I guess the, I've got two questions here. One is what exemptions exist for this regulation that's coming in, into place? Um, and, and similarly, and maybe this is an answer to that question, if we're talking about replacing existing 
you know, oh, I've got to do maintenance. I got to do work on my existing pool or whatever. Something's wrong with my pump. Do I need to buy, if I'm getting a new pump, am I going to have to buy one of these pumps or can I replace it with what I've already got? What can I do? Right. So um, let's talk about the exemptions first. Um, so the, the builders are, are going to, are going to care about this. So first, let me start off with com, uh, people who are in the, into commercial space if they're building commercial type pools. Um, so they're typically using um, pumps that are greater than five horsepower. Um, those are exempt from the regulations. So those are still going to be available to buy. Um, the reason for them being exempt is that they're not um, wide, widespread out in the marketplace. It's mm -hmm. a, a specialty market. Um, mm -hmm. So to regulate that, A would be damaging to that commercial space um, mm -hmm. and would not save a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this, the second part of that also kind of commercial related is uh, pumps that use three phase motors. Um, so, uh, from electrical source standpoint, mm -hmm. um, three phase is mainly used in commercial. So again, the, the regular regulators looked at it as there's not a lot there to be saved by regulating that, that space. Yeah. Um, from there, when you get into the residential homeowners, um, look, a lot of people have waterfalls. So there's actually a special type of pump called a waterfall pump that, um, are designed to operate under low head, high flow situations. So, um, they exempted those if the pump is designed to operate at no more than 30 feet of head, um, then, uh, and the motor cannot spin greater than 1750 RPM per minute, then those are categorized as waterfall pumps and those are exempt. Um, and then really the last big one, which, um, uh, Fluger doesn't, at least here in the U S we are not, uh, heavily into the above ground pool space, but above ground pool equipment, um, is impacted to a lesser degree. Um, a lot of people use what's called an integral sand or cartridge filter uh, pool pump, where the filter is really part of the, the pump itself. It's kind of one integrated piece. Yeah. Um, think about like the Intex stuff. If you go to like a, a Walmart or a Target, you'll see those, those uh, small pieces of equipment. Those are not um, uh, required to meet minimum energy efficiency requirements like um, about like the other, the, the main pool pumps that we're talking about. Um, what they are required to do is to have a timer on them that prevent them from running more than 10 hours at a time. Um, so they're regulating them in a little bit of a different manner, a little bit more lenient while also trying to take into consideration uh, the electrical consumption. Gotcha. Um, okay, and then so there was, you didn't mention what I, what I was hoping you might say, or not necessarily hoping, but you, you didn't mention, I guess we're as an exemption, existing, existing equipment. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So if you're a, if you're an existing homeowner and you have equipment installed, so this doesn't really impact the builder as much. But look, mm -hmm. a lot of builders, I think roughly twenty to thirty percent of all builders also do service on the side. Um, so they'll they'll care about this. Um, if you have an existing pool, um, there's nothing. Some people have this misconception. Some people think that after July, you need to pull out all the equipment and put in uh, compliant equipment. A, that's not the case. If the equipment's already there, it's in and it's, it's there and it's functioning. Um, if the pump needed repair, um, today there's nothing preventing you from doing a full repair on a non-compliant pump. Meaning if the motor goes out, you can still buy that replacement motor. If uh, anything on the, the what we call the wet end goes out, the impeller, the diffuser, all that stuff, you can still buy replacement parts and all the major manufacturers are going to continue to support non-compliant pump equipment. Um, mm -hmm. as far as spare parts for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, but let me talk about that motor situation just for, for a second. So if you have a two horsepower single speed pump where the motor goes out today, like I said, there's nothing that 
prevent you from buying that two horsepower replacement motor. But there is a secondary rule that is still in process that has not been finalized yet that may regulate those to some degree. To what degree, we don't know yet. Um, we're still waiting for it to come. Hopefully it comes soon because it's kind of put the industry a little bit in a, uh, a pause because we don't know how to mm -hmm. estimate demand on variable speed pumps, or I'm sorry, we don't know how to estimate demand on compliant pumps because the way that where that rule falls would have a big impact. Mm -hmm. If that two horsepower motor were to go out and had to be replaced with a complete pump that also, that also had to be compliant, well, that changes the demand for the entire industry. So it's important that that rule gets uh, clarified sooner rather than later. Yeah. What, what, what do you, when you anticipate a timeline for some um, sort of answer? You know, we are hoping by January 1st that it is uh, black and white clear on what the rule is and what the effective date is. Mm -hmm. um, that'll give us six months before the pump rule goes into effect um, to make adjustments to yeah. the, our plans. And look, for, for service companies out there as well, they need to plan on, on their next season coming up. Um, this is, uh, you know, just a, a side note. Um, a lot of people are probably thinking, why would anybody put a new pool pump regulation into effect in July? It's smack dab in the middle of our pool season. Um, it's uh, it's really a matter of timing. When the law was signed into law back in 2017, uh, I don't remember the exact timing, but whenever the Department of Energy or uh, EPA or anybody puts any kind of new regulations into effect, there's a set window that they have to wait before it becomes effective. So they sign it into law on this day. And I think they have to wait something like 700 days before it becomes official. Mm -hmm. So it just so happens that the day that they signed the dedicated purpose pool pump rule into effect, when they added out that 700 days before it could become uh, uh, a standard yeah. ended up in the middle of the season. So by no means is the middle of July a great time to put a new pool regulation effect, but it is what it is, and we've yeah. all got. Yeah, yeah. So I I would guess that most pool builders are pretty much planning on, at least those who have been following this and array for it. It's really this next season. Um, you know, we're presumably going to. You should go ahead and start making the plunge, uh, if you haven't already. Yeah, for sure. Effectively. So what I, what I heard you say with the um, regard with regard to installation of of the the new the new regulations, it's if you have a, a the pump existing at your home, that's fine to use. If I'm a pool builder and I have a stock of non-compliant pumps, that doesn't meet the exemptions though. That doesn't mean anything. Those they need to be installed in homes. If I intend to use them and sell them, they have to be installed and used prior to July, 2021. Is that correct? No, actually that's, um, that's, that's not accurate. What the rule says is that all pumps manufactured or imported into the U S okay. after July 19th of 2021 need to be compliant. Um, and that's, you know, and that's intentional for the exact reason that you said, um, there's distributors, there's retailers, there's dealers, there's the the local the local pool guy that operates out of a small you know warehouse, and they mm -hmm. might have twenty or thirty pumps on hand. It would be detrimental to their business if they suddenly had to just scrap twenty thousand dollars worth of equipment. So mm -hmm. as long as you um, as long as it's been manufactured or imported into the U.S. before July nineteenth, it's good to go. So if if you're a distributor and you have two hundred non-compliant pumps on in inventory. You can sell those. Um, us as a manufacturer, if we have, I'm going to make up a number, 
a thousand non-compliant pumps in our warehouse on that date, we can still sell them to distribution. Distribution can sell them to uh, builders. Builders can install them on pools. Okay. Um, eventually, the inventory will, r- will run out. It's a, mm-hmm. a not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. Um, mm-hmm. I would estimate probably at any given time there's about two to three months worth of supply in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So I would expect if you start July, August, September, October, by the fall of 2021. Um, I would expect most non-compliant pumps will have been depleted and they'll be out on pools. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that's certainly more palatable um, and certainly, you know, a more business friendly approach and in a very positive way, I would say. So which, which builders then are going to be the most impacted by these new regulations? How is, how is this going to help and, and, and potentially, potentially not, I don't want to say hurt, but, how is this going to create opportunities for some builders and how is it going to um, produce some, some challenges for others? Yeah. So um, probably the easier way to put it is who's not going to be affected. Um, <laughs> okay. And I, so I've really got three groups of people I want to talk about. Um, group number one are those builders or, or pool pros that have already switched over to variable speed. Um, they could have done it 10 years ago. They could have done it five years ago. They could have just done it in the last year but they've already made the switch. Um, they've got their, their crews all up to speed on, on how to program them, how to best operate them. Um, they, they know how to sell the advantages to the homeowner. Um, it goes beyond just energy savings. There's less noise. They're more efficient. Um, you can customize water features based on the speed. So one day you might want your water feature to be flowing very heavily. Uh, uh, at nighttime, you might want it just to be a little trickle, a nice, calm, relaxing trickle. So there's a lot of things you can you can do with variable speed pumps that you can't do with um, with your traditional single speed pump. So those builders are not going to be impacted because they've already made the switch. If you flip over to the other end, look, there's a lot of builders that um, that build very basic pools. Um, they may only need a one horsepower single speed pump to filter that pool, and most one horsepower pumps on the market are going to meet the minimum energy efficiency requirements. So they're not going to be impacted mm-hmm. simply because their pumps are still compliant. It's really the people in the middle that A, have not adopted variable speed pumps at all. Mm-hmm. Their staff and their work crews don't know how to, how to manage them. Um, if their homeowner asked them about variable speed pumps, they wouldn't know how to respond. I think those are the people that are going to be yeah. most impacted. Um, and there could even be in that group people that don't even realize this is a regulation until after the fact, mm-hmm. and they go into their distributor on August 1st of next year, they try to buy their favorite one and a half, one and a half, one and a half horsepower single speed pump, and they can't get it. And they're like, what, what happened? Yeah. So those are the people who are going to be most in, in trouble. The ones who have resisted the, the adoption mm-hmm. and, um, and haven't taken steps in the, in the, either in the past six months or the next six months to learn it and understand it and be able to, to sell it to the, to the mm-hmm. public. Cause yeah. at the end of the day that, you know, our, our pool pros, they're the prescribers. Um, look, when I bought my home and we needed a new HVAC unit, I didn't know anything about HVAC systems. I don't want to know anything about HVAC systems. I just want my home to be heated. I want it to be cool. Same thing with a, a, a homeowner. They want their pool to be um, clean and clear and they want to enjoy it. They don't want to be professional when it comes to their pool, pool equipment. That's what mm-hmm. the, the pool builder and the, the pool service pro are, are there for. Mm-hmm. So they need to, they need to get to speed. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like, but the three groups that you broke them into, that's very easy to understand, which is good for me. Thank you. Um, but also within that third group, the middle group, 
there's three things that they need to prepare themselves for. And I'm going to ask you maybe some other things that they should be doing to prepare themselves, but, or maybe how they prepare themselves in these three areas. Cause you said first, it starts with selling. You've got to sell the owner on why this new thing exists. Um, number two is they've got to sell them on or not sell them. They've got to understand how to install it, what the differences mean, you know, during the, the build phase. Um, and then the third is the, after after installation maintenance, ongoing maintenance and service to that. They need to understand what how does how does this differ from my existing single speed pump. So what else, what should builders be doing right now? Let's say you know we've got members of our listener audience who say, oh man, I I had no idea this was coming. I'm I fit into that that middle group where I'm building the pools that are going to use a, a horsepower and a half bigger. They're gonna I'm gonna have to use variable speed pumps. I haven't done this yet. What should I be doing to prepare myself? Yeah, I think so. I think the first part is, is education. Um, and I'm going to make a little bit of plug here for Jenny, but I will tell you that the other major manufacturers have the exact same thing, not the exact same thing because we all put our own spin on it, but on Jenny.com, which is our, our, um, our brand here in the U S mm-hmm. we have a, an educational section on our, mm-hmm. on our main website about what the regulations are. We've got webinars, we've got um, educational handouts, so um, if you're in that third group and you really don't understand it, then visit Jenny.com. You'll find a Department of Energy regulation summary. Um, mm-hmm. You can have your, your crews download the, the, training, the training documents. We've got PowerPoints. We've got webinars you can watch um, and so forth. So a, it'll get you up to speed on what you need to understand about the regulations. Um, the second thing is I would you know, start specking out on your quotes, um, variable speed pumps, get some variable speed pumps into your shop and mm-hmm. teach your crew how to use them, how to program them. Um, we've talked to a lot of people that say, hey, you know what, when we have to do this, we're just gonna program these pumps to run at full speed anyway, so I don't see what the point is. But um, look up something called um, the pump affinity law. I encourage them to do that. Um, I'll give a quick summary here and why that is important. Because when I said earlier that, look, if you run your pump at half speed, you're actually consuming 85% less amount of electricity. That's a number that people kind of go, no, that doesn't make any sense. But um, think about there's four variables when it comes to, to, to pool pumps and pool equipment. There's a total dynamic head, which is the amount of restriction in the system. Um, there's uh, the speed that the pump is, is rotating at. There's the, the flow rate of the water. And then there's electrical consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, if you start off with RPMs, um, most pumps at full speed are around 3450. If you decrease that to 1725 uh, RPM, so half speed, your flow rate goes down by half. So if you were pumping 100 gallons per minute earlier, you're not going to be uh, pumping 50 gallons per minute. The way the energy savings comes in is your resistance, your TDH in the system, actually decreases by, um, by uh, 75%. So it's one quarter of what it was. So if you had, uh, I'm going to pick an easy number just because it's easy to do math in my head. If you had a uh, hundred feet of resistance um, in the in this plumbing system, you're now down to 25 feet of head. So you've got a lot less resistance um, that the pump needs to overcome, and because the pump needs to work needs to work a lot ha- less hard, you've now reduced your energy consumption to to 85 percent of what mm-hmm. it was. Um, so it's a, it's a it's the most basic thing you need to understand about variable speed pumps is is how pump affinity law works. Mm-hmm. Um, so look that up, and then. Um, Teach them how to program them. Uh, don't don't just fall into the trap of running them at full speed because you will get no savings at all. 
um, run them slower, um, run them for longer periods of time. Um, it's better for the, for the pool equipment. Um, it puts a lot less stress on all the other pieces of equipment, the filtration system, the heaters, the saltwater chlorinators all have to, uh, work mm -hmm. less hard, um, because the, the pressure in the system is, is lower because of the lower yeah. flow rates. Um, and then all the other things, uh, we talked about it earlier, there's less noise from variable speed pumps when you run them at lower speeds. I can tell you from experience, I've got a neighbor here in California. He has a pool, uh, uh, pools, uh, houses in California are very close to each other. Um, our houses are probably 15 feet away. Mm -hmm. The pool equipment pad is right underneath our bedroom window. Um, when they're running their pump at full speed, I can hear it. I can notice it. Um, when they're running it at half speed, it's barely noticeable. So it's a, it's a big saver for neighborhood relations. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, there's just so many different things you can do with variable speed pumps that you can't do with a single speed pump that um, mm -hmm. don't look at it as just energy savings. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. So did I hear you pretty much say you're talking about extended life of your other equipment as well? Right. Yeah. yeah. So look, think, think about your PVC piping. Mm -hmm. If it's under constantly a hundred PSI of pressure, um, you're going to have more prone to leaks, more fittings are going to, are going to be damaged. Your, um, filtration media may not last as long. So if you're using say cartridge filters, mm -hmm. the higher the flow rate, the more stress those, those cartridges are going to be under, they're going to get rips in them. They're going to get tears in them. And then you've got to replace the cartridges. If you're running, um, the pump at half speed, all that's under a lot less stress. So everything else mm -hmm. lasts longer. Yeah. So it's a, basically a win-win all around as you, mm -hmm. when you really get yeah. into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I think you've made that pretty, pretty clear. And, you know, if I wasn't before, uh, I, I think I came in pretty neutral, but feeling more and more like an evangelist for this new regulation, it sounds like overall a good thing for the industry, a good thing for uh, the environment, a good thing for um, energy bills of consumers around, around the world. And, and frankly, it gives pool builders who, who do take you up on this call to, to become more educated uh, frankly, it gives you uh, some opportunities to speak to your customers about the way that the, their pool works um, in a way that might be a little bit deeper than, than perhaps they're having the conversations they're having now. Oh, excuse me. Uh, so, all in all, it sounds like from your standpoint, and I'm, I'm going to ask you this it, it, can, to confirm what I'm what I'm hearing. The way that the Department of Energy came about developing this, you know, it sounds like I know that they worked really closely with industry leaders like like Fluidra. Do you agree? Is that, what's the what's the downside here? Why why would somebody not be a fan of this? You know, it's the, it's the up it's the upfront cost. I just gotta say it's the it's the sticker shock. Mm -hmm. um, imagine if all the Toyota Corollas disappeared and you could only buy um, a Cadillac. Yeah, you know that would be that would be some sticker shock to everybody. I guess another way to put it, let's say you couldn't buy gasoline cars anymore and you mm -hmm. could only buy electrical cars. Um, there they cost more. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little bit similar, I suppose. Um, and if you're, like I said, if you're the homeowner intentionally putting in a brand new pool and paying, you know, maybe as low as $25,000, in some cases as high as $100,000 or more, this is probably not a, an issue for you. I think the people who are going to have a challenge with it are going to be the people who um, bought a home, they have a pool that they didn't put in, they love having a pool, but um, they, uh, they may struggle with a $1,500 upfront payment for a, a new variable speed pump. Um, so it's certainly understandable um, the, the, you know, to be fully transparent, the, the DOE hundred page document that I referenced, they do estimate about 3% of the people will actually realize no cost savings. 
This would be people who say live in areas where electricity is cheap, 10 cents per kilowatt hour, 8 cents per kilowatt hour. There are areas like that left in the U.S. Um, if you are in an area that the pool season is short, let's say you're in the Northeast. I come from Connecticut. We had an above ground pool when I was growing up. But um, let's say you have, a, you have an in-ground pool. Your pool season is really, if you're being honest, at best Labor Day. Um, I'm sorry, Memorial Day to Labor Day. Yeah. is really what you're looking at. So you've got maybe a three-month window. That means your um, your window to payback is much shorter. That that 24 uh, that 12-month year-round pool that is recognizing savings year-round. Mm-hmm. Now you need four years to pay that off because you're only that gets you to 12 months. Yeah. So I can certainly see the resistance in some areas, but for the most part, bigger picture. It is, uh, I believe it's good for the environment. I think it's good for the industry. Um, but it's to say it's for everybody, probably a little bit. Yeah. There are some people who are going to be frustrated by it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, you keep referencing the 100, the 100 page document. Um, the hopefully, um, I don't know if I'm going to encourage anybody to read it. Um, and I, I mean, this being realistic about. <laughs> um, what we're doing, but that's, that's why we point people to the educational resources that you've got. And, and this podcast is, is part of that really is meant to kind of say, Hey, maybe you're not going to read this hundred page document. At least we can give you some highlights some executive summaries. There's some resources that are probably much more entertaining and compelling and easier to follow um, with your webinars and your other resources on your website. And we'll certainly put links to that in our show notes. Um, so Steve, I'll get some, uh, some links from you on the back end. I think I've already found a few of those on your website. Um, but let's, let's go one step further now. So this regulation is coming, it's signed. It's, you know, even if for most people, it's an easy sell, it, it's, it makes sense. There's a, the 3% people who they're not going to see savings. There's the other folks who it's going to take longer. And there's some folks who are just going to be frustrated that they have to make a change at all. But the vast majority, this should be a, this should be kind of a win, win, win for everybody. So that's good. What's next, though, when we think about the way the Department of Energy is is taking stock of swimming pools in the aquatics industry at large? Um, are they going to start looking at the 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 commercial consumption, or that's just not big enough? Where we got the vast majority of pools are residential. What what's next for the Department of Energy with aquatics that we should kind of start preparing ourselves for mentally now, if not more directly and more um, specifically? Yeah. So. Um... I don't believe, so let me first talk about the commercial space. I don't believe that they'll, they'll regulate that. What's really, and, and I, I, I know I keep on referencing the hundred page document. Um, I have not read the whole thing, but, um, and I do encourage people, look, don't go chase that thing yeah. down. It'll boggle your mind. Um, Cause we've dumped it down to two or three pages worth of documentation on our website. That's what um, I'm talking about. But when you look at that hundred page document, you will realize how much work they did um, to put these regulations into place to understand where do they need to focus their, their efforts on. And mm-hmm. the commercial space was not a big consumer because look, uh, you know, you've got some high school pools, you've got some community pools. Those are dwarfed by the number of in-ground residential pools that are out there that are really the high, the high consuming um, pools. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what, what's next is, uh, is two things. First, in the short term, there's that clarification of the motor rule, um, which will impact the, the repair business. Um, and, uh, you know, again, hopefully that it was in the next couple of months and that we can wrap that up. 
Um, beyond that, um, people who have um, Nest thermostats and similar uh, types of thermostats mm -hmm. may be familiar with something called demand response programs. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, essentially, if you're not familiar with them, what it allows uh, a homeowner to do is that if, if they were to install, um, for example, a Nest thermostat, um, some utility companies offer what's called an opt-in uh, demand response program. And what it does is because Nest thermostats are um, cloud-based um, and they're part of the Internet of Things, for lack of a better term, um, you opt into this program and the payoff to the homeowner is that by opting into the demand response program, the utility company will give you a lower rate on your electricity. Now, the payoff to the utility company and what the homeowner agrees to for that lower rate is it allows the utility company in times of high demand to basically link into your Nest thermostat and uh, adjust your settings. So if it's the middle of the summer and it's a heat wave and everyone has their air conditioner cranked, there's a lot of electricity going into cooling down the homes. And we had them this year in California, we had some, some rolling brownouts and rolling blackouts where uh, the grid just couldn't support it. So everything shut down. Whether it was an intentional shutdown or uh, unintentional, it doesn't matter. It just means that we were we as consumers were consuming too much electricity. So what it would allow the utility company to do would be to dial into your Nest thermostat, and instead of having the temperature set for 68 degrees, they might raise it to 72 degrees. Um, you do that to a million homes, and guess what? You've just decreased demand significantly for a, I guess you could say, a minor uh, impact to the homeowner. Um, most of those programs allow you to um, override if they were to change the settings, allows you to override it. Um, and there's a lot of reasons to do that for safety. Let's say, uh, you know, there, I, I want to say it was in France, maybe five years ago, they had tremendous heat waves and like hundreds of people died from overheating. Um, you wouldn't want to do that to people who um, may be in their home and are uh, sensitive to heat. So there's safety things in there. They are talking about doing, so to make a, make a long story short, they are talking about doing the same thing with pool equipment, mainly pool pumps. So um, in the next, I would say probably two to three years, um, there'll probably be some equipment that you see on the market that uh, does the same type of demand response during high times of uh, electrical demand. They might dial into your variable speed pump and decrease the speed. Maybe it's running at 2,500 RPM. If they were to dec decrease that down to 2,000 RPM, across a million homes, what's the net impact? So it's the same idea as uh, raising the temperature on your air conditioning. Um, now, again, this, these are some of the challenges. Um, there are safety issues when it comes to pools. You don't want your pool to go green. You don't want bacteria to grow in your pool. So sometimes by decreasing it too much, you run into some health risks. So there's a lot that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, so I would say, like I said, in two to three years, you'll see some experiments with that out in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, maybe in five to six years after they've learned a little bit, it may become optional. And by optional, I mean um, Energy Star. We're all familiar with Energy Star equipment, refrigerators, washers, dryers. Mm -hmm. um, pool pumps are also Energy Star rated. It may become, hey, let's raise the bar a little bit on that Energy Star rating. And if you do not offer demand response options on your pumps, then you can't get the Energy Star rating. So we know that Energy Star is a real simple way that gets consumers' uh, attention. Mm -hmm. if, if the industry wanted to go that route and they tied it to the Energy Star rating, 
it may um, entice manufacturers to become um, more in tune with that type of a feature. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure manufacturers out there are looking at how to incorporate that type of a system into their equipment. Yeah. And is there so we I mean we talk we we talked obviously today mostly about the regulation side um, and obviously uh, or presumably there's some there's some incentive side as well for consumers um, on some of those programs. But yeah, like I said, you know, if you if you yeah. become part of a demand response program, yeah, they give you a lower rate. Um, I yeah. pay, I looked at my electricity bill here in uh, San Diego uh, yesterday. Um, we pay an average twenty eight cents per kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a lot. If they said, hey, do this demand response and we'll charge you 22 cents. And guess what? If we do dial in and, and change your equipment settings, you have the ability to override it. I'll take that deal all yeah. day long. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people would as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is you need the infrastructure, right? First, you need mm-hmm. um, reliable Wi-Fi. Uh, you need a back-end infrastructure to let the equipment talk to a, a utility company seamlessly. You have multiple manufacturers involved. You have multiple utility companies involved. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, And I think part of it is also is with these new regulations, you hope that people, if they are required to put in a variable speed pump, that they do put them at energy energy saving speeds. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they do that, then does the value of demand response programs get decreased? I think if everybody does it responsibly, then it maybe makes demand response less enticing. But mm-hmm. if people put them in and they run them at full speeds and the we're not recognizing any energy savings, then those become more viable programs. Yeah. Is that, do you think that's, and I, I we gotta, I wanna wrap things up here, but I'm curious, do you think, you know, thinking about this being the next, what's coming next is potential for demand response programs if they're necessary are, is the DOE monitoring the success of this program? How long are they going to give it to say, okay, this is working pretty well. There's no need for us to take additional steps with, as it relates to at least, you know, the pump speeds and the pump efficiency. You know, that's a great question, which uh, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't know that I have a good answer for it. Um, I'm sure they're going to study it. Um, but let's also realize that there's 5 million in-ground pools out there in the U S um, on average, 75 to 80,000 new pools are built every year. So it's a small fraction of, mm-hmm. um, of the pools yeah, that yeah. will be impacted. Um, so it's really that whole aftermarket thing with yeah. the replacement motors. That's really where the, the shoe drops mm-hmm. that causes um, a, a more drastic shift to variable speed pumps. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, or lower, consume, lower, lower energy consuming pumps. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's, a, there's just a lot of factors involved there. Um, I wish I had a magic imagine ball that would tell me um it just remains to be seen yeah and that's where the opt-in becomes a lot more interesting i guess too as well because yep. that's the bulk of it is existing so people are gonna have to opt in they're gonna have to raise their hand and say there's something compelling me to move over to this to make a purchase to get the higher price tag yeah Great. Well, Steve, this has been fantastic. Um, I, I know that a lot of, in a lot of ways, this is the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole wealth of information on your website. We're going to provide some links in the show notes, as I mentioned. How should people reach out um, if they want more information? That's a that's a great question. I would you know I would, I would start with with Jenny.com um, okay. and that and that website. That should cover 99.9 percent of people's questions. Okay. Um, and when, when that motor rule comes into effect. Um, we're going to be updating it. We're, we already got, depending on where that goes, we've got different material already planned to put up there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that should cover most things. I will say that from a um, look from a, a GND brand perspective, a fluid brand perspective in the, in the U.S., um, mm. we have a fantastic field sales and service team, um, and uh, I would say that's probably um, a pool builder's first line of defense is to contact our local GND representative. So we'll we'll provide as much resources as we can in the show notes and in our blog pa- blog post recap. Um, if you want to learn more about the link and what we're doing to help uh, make the building process just more delightful, more straightforward and more streamlined, go to the link.io. That's T-H-E-L-I-N-C.io. Um, and certainly if you've got some interesting insights to share, if you're working on interesting new projects, um, we'd love to have you on the podcast for an interview. You can email me directly at john at the link.io. Um, and you can listen to this podcast or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening now. Um, and otherwise, Steve, thanks so much for being on the show and we'll catch you on the next one. All right, thanks, Chuck.